Now you might be thinking, core values and establishing culture is really hard and really time consuming. But think about the time that is spent performance managing our people out of the business because we've selected the wrong person and we rushed the hiring and the induction process, which if we had the core values in place in the first time, would have acted as a remarkable filter for us to select the right person the first time. And that's where we're going to dig in deep with our guest, Seto Gill, once again today. Welcome to the Transformation Show, where successful pharmacy owners and technology partners help you to build a better 21st century pharmacy by embracing technology. Here is your host, Robert Starr. G'day everyone and welcome back to Transformation, the only dedicated podcast in the world where pharmacy and technology collide to bring you, the motivated pharmacy owner, all that you need to build your smarter, more successful 21st century business before it's too late. My name's Robert Starr, your host and guide on this fantastic journey of ours, all the way through to episode 92. Big show today, we've got our second part of our two-part series with Seto Gill, and I know that many of you have commented that your notebooks were jock-a-block full last week, and certainly perhaps your Evernote notebooks as I like to use them as well. We've got time for a quick check-in with you. I'm going to talk a little bit about why we need to make time for strategy. I keep harping on that, but I'm going to because as I'm going to share with you very shortly, this is where 2016 is going to be made for you. It's not going to be when you get into the Helter Skelter next year. It's what you do in the planning and the strategy. And we'll get into that very, very shortly. How's your week been? Has it been a good one? I know we're leading up to Christmas. It's starting to get very, very busy. The world starts to overtake us. Everyone's coming into the business, rushed for time because the world all stops on Christmas Day, but then magically restarts two days later. But we've all got to deal with that. But it's really important that as business owners, we stay vital. And as we spoke about a few weeks ago, we still climb to the top of that tree and survey where we're going and making sure that in 2016, we're headed in the right direction. And that's where I wanted to spend a little bit of time today. It's so important that we do make that time and block that out. I mentioned a few weeks ago in our solo show, and I've got another one coming your way next week, where we're going to go through some really nice productivity tools. We're going to reinvestigate some of the older ones, and I'll show you some of the polish that I've put on them and some new tips and tricks, as well as some new tools that you haven't used before. But it's not all about tools. You need to use Utilize those tools to create the time to get your head out of the tools and out of the action so that you're thinking about the strategy of where your business is going. Now, around that, I talk a lot about the Pharmacy Freedom Index on this show, and this show is no exception for that one in particular, because what I want to offer you is to help you map out your 2016. Now, I know that a lot of you may want to do a discovery session, and that's very good. It's easy to do, easy to book in, and it's 90 minutes that will map out your 2016. But what I wanted to do was to help as many of you as possible. And so what I'm going to offer you is if you do a Pharmacy Freedom Index test and it only takes you seven to 10 minutes, it's literally that easy. And you can do it on any device, on any computer you might be on. What I'm going to do is on 
December 25, I'm going to leave you a present under your virtual Christmas tree. Now, what that's going to be is a four-week personalized course of information, including podcasts, videos, resources, articles, tools, links, everything that I think you might need to take advantage of some of your biggest opportunities in 2016. And me and my team are going to be available in January to receive any comments, any feedback, any problems you might have throughout that January period as you work your way through those four weekly modules and get through to the end of January ready to hit 2016 full steam ahead when you get to February as well. So that's my commitment to you. All you need to do, and if you've done the Pharmacy Freedom Index before, I'm going to suggest you do it again because it's something that is very relative to the point of your business where you are right now. And a lot of things might have changed. You might have improved in an area. You might have become deficient in one area because you've let that slip. So it's so important you assess that right now. And all I'd ask you to do is spend that 7 to 10 minutes, invest it, do the test, pharmacyfreedomindex.com. The link's in the show notes at robertstar.com forward slash episode 92. And for that investment of seven to 10 minutes, you will get a personalized plan of resources that will help you implement those opportunities in 2016. So I don't think you can argue with that, but it is time limited. And if you need, if you do the Pharmacy Freedom Index before December 25th, you will get that under your virtual Christmas tree when you hit Christmas as well. So that's what I'm going to offer you as well. And obviously, even by doing the Pharmacy Freedom Index, you will learn where opportunity for technology comes into your business. But you might even think, look, I haven't thought about that for a while. I really should do that. And so you'll discover new elements of your business that you just haven't focused on for a while. And it's the only thing that you can do when you get your head out of the business and think about the strategy of where you're going as well. We're going to head back to Seidel. I started off by asking him and we were sharing some of our best interview questions of how we can determine whether our people are a good culture fit for our business. There's a whole range of uh, questions that we quite often will ask our uh, prospective interviewees and prospective team members in that process, whether it be pre-interview or as a as an interview debrief. I know a lot of colleagues perhaps may have a, six, uh, a series of interviews with different people in the uh, pharmacy before they make the decision. And uh, you know, often one of my favourites has always been, you know, tell me about a personal goal that you've been able to realise and uh, what goal have you set for yourself for the next six to 12 months and you know when you find out that uh, people don't have one it quite often tells you a little bit about themselves in terms of where they see themselves and whether they're on that cycle of improvement themselves but I guess what, what's been your uh, you know maybe top two questions that you've asked that um, you know have unlocked a great insight as to a culture fit for you? I think uh, the, the top grading book certainly has a standard interview form in there and, and I've used that and haven't really messed with it. Um, I know there's a temptation to take a proven system and then customize it to kind of suit your style but I really don't like that. I think the research has gone into those specific questions for a reason. And so, some of the initial questions in a top grading interview are what are things that you're really good at or are interested in doing? And then the flip side of this, what are things that you're not necessarily good at? or are not interested in doing. And constantly repeating that question back at people makes them think a little bit more, what am I good at? 
and what do I like? Because chances are, if the role that I've got for them is something they enjoy, then this is going to be a long and fruitful um, partnership between the business and that person. But if they don't enjoy it, but they happen to be good at it, that's disaster waiting to happen. And if they're not necessarily good at it, then we've got to unpack why they're not good at it. And, you know, did I make a mistake getting to the interview stage or is there a problem that's likely to rear its head later on? Are they better suited to another position? There's a lot of interviews that I've finished and thought, well, this person is pretty good. They're just not good for this store. Maybe I've got a colleague I can call up where it'll actually suit their business and put them in touch with, with that individual. That's the thing about culture fit. It doesn't necessarily, if, if you don't, if you if you are not the right culture fit for the role that you're going for, it doesn't mean that you're not the right culture fit for a similar pharmacy or somewhere else. And we've just got to be really honest with the idea of culture fit because that ensures that for that individual in their career, that was a really positive work experience, one that, that advanced their career rather than a missed opportunity or um, a bit of a dud choice from their perspective. And I guess that sometimes tra- transpires in our businesses where we haven't focused too much on culture, that uh, we see a, a high churn rate of uh, people leaving the business. I know that uh, in a recent episode, episode 80 of the show, Roger Simpson shared with us that 85% of all of our team members, and I think that included all members of the retail industry, were ready to leave a business at any one given point in time. And whilst that number seemed organically high, it just stood out that, that w- those were businesses where they really didn't connect very strongly with that brand and perhaps there was another brand out there that may resonate better but I guess taking it the next step beyond recruiting into managing performance and making sure that we're hanging on to our top end talent um, what have you looked at to you know make sure that you know those high performers that you know come into your business are are not only looked after in the uh, I guess induction process but you know able to add value to your business and continually improve I think performance reviews, regular performance reviews are absolutely critical. Now, at certain times, um, when I think of uh, performance reviews, all throughout our industry, and particularly in pharmacy, a lot of owners have done the whole concept a disservice because they tend to load up on them as negative feedback sessions um, for stuff that they're a little bit too afraid or didn't really find the time to level at an employee as to why they weren't measuring up to where they, the employer, felt that employee should be at. And performance reviews really should only ever be about mapping the year ahead, doing some forward planning and saying, what are you great at? Let's celebrate that because we don't have an opportunity to do that all that often. So let's celebrate in one big hit. Let's look at the areas of opportunity. Where didn't you develop in your own opinion and in our opinion that you could have? And what can we do to structure something to enable the development there? Um, Again, for me, it's a check. In the interview process, I'm asking the question to an individual, what are your one, three, five, sometimes even 10-year goals? Um, And not a lot of people necessarily have 10-year goals. Some people are looking five years out. Sometimes you've got some very organized people that have planned every step of their life up to their potential dying day. And that's great because you want to get a sense of where does this person see themselves and can I take them there within this business? Because if not, I'm probably going to destroy their soul if they stay in this role. And similarly, if they have goals that 
I don't think are really going to match this business, but they want to hang on to their job. They're going to destroy the soul of someone in the workforce or working for someone else who would love to come and work for us because of the conditions, because the values match theirs, and because what we can do to help them reach their own personal goals is better aligned than what we're seeing from the person in front of us. So that, and people do change, their priorities change, their decisions change. And if you're not checking in on that, if you have, I guess, a, a fossil memory of the individual that's working for you, that can be very, very dangerous because then you get situations where somebody leaves, the employer feels betrayed, the, the individual in question feels underappreciated. And all of that took place because um, people wanted to let sleeping dogs lie and, and leave well enough alone. And uh, we need to be a little more nimble than that if we want to have very successful teams. Yeah, look, and, and certainly, I, I think sometimes it comes down to, I guess the, uh, the, uh, I guess the proactiveness that we take towards managing our team members. Uh, I know that uh, you know many colleagues would look at maybe a twelve-month review, and you know, being a very structured process, questionnaires back and forth, and uh, you know, it's very much focused on uh, on results or in some cases sales, and uh, perhaps that may only reward those that are full time and not part time, and not really on whether they've improved skills and other aspects that perhaps aren't covered under our traditional uh, performance reviews so sometimes it may have to do with the fact that you know we don't often mentor our team members or you know lead by example and and show them the right way and giving them the right number of resources to be able to be successful in what they do but uh, you know is there been I guess a, a secret to how you've been able to unlock some of your best team members success by you know setting the goals and aligning them with your business is there a secret i think a rock solid induction is critical getting somebody up to speed and speaking the same language as i'm speaking very very quickly often is one of the best indicators of success i think the level and attention paid to induction in pharmacies across australia is nothing short of disgusting to be honest with you and that might seem like an extreme adjective to use but I, I think it's truly awful um, across 90% of the pharmacies that, that I encounter. And certainly when we will get somebody from a previous employer and they see our level of induction, for those that aren't daunted, they say, well, well how come it wasn't like this where we've worked previously? And um, in the circumstances where we fail to see through our inductions effectively and things go wrong, I turn to those um, that were at the coalface responsible for for conducting an effective induction and say well if you're going to um, stifle the process and steal time from the induction process are you surprised that some of these complex problems are emerging um, I think the secret is a really rock solid selection process and a rock solid induction because often if the selection process has any margin of error the induction will flush it out um, you will find out in you know, those first couple of weeks that a person just is getting into a job that they didn't think they were signing up for. And better to lose them at that point than, you know, five, six months down the line when you've invested some time into them, they've invested some time into you, and potentially there's a disruption of the team that uh, that you've assembled. Yeah. One of the things... 
And I think sometimes that's just paying paying respect to the fact that we often are recruiting for skills and not really a role or looking at the our team members' personalities and that, you know, very much it's a like-for-like like, uh, recruitment process. If a dispensary technician leaves the business, we need someone who's got similar level of experience, similar skills in terms of the operating programs and so forth, but not really looking at any deeper uh, as to what that person's going to contribute to the dynamic of the team and, uh, you know, quite Quite often we get shortcut that because uh, of the time involved in needing to discover that. So I guess for, for, for owners listening to this and you know thinking, okay, that sounds really time invested and really high resource to be able to do it. And yes, obviously there's you know I guess you get get what you pay for in as much of time and resources you put into something. But you know, are there any uh, tools and obviously akin to this show, we focus a little bit on the technology side of it that you've been able to utilise things like screening questionnaires that I know that they you may have through Seek. Um, you may also utilise things like personality testings and screenings. Is there any of those types of things that you'll deploy before you even interview someone? Once upon a time, I, I did some work around personality tests and, and hired consultants, certainly for key roles uh, within stores that I've managed and within the organisation that I'm a partner in, the Line Retail Management Group. Um, there was a telling conversation I had with Jeff Smart when I, when I had the opportunity to meet him in 2014, where he said psychological tests of the like of DISC profiling or the Myers-Briggs tests or the HBDI testing become valuable when only once you've hired a person and you're trying to get team members to understand how to communicate with each other, i.e. when you've selected your team and these are the people you've backed and, and you think you've got it right. It's another tool to help them understand each other and remove conflict in, in that sense. But it, it's there's probably not a lot of point to it happening as part of the overall selection process. Because you can, you can have five different applicants and have them all do a Myers-Briggs test. And Myers-Briggs tests, in my experience, and disk profiling really depends on how people want to answer the question. I've done the very same Myers-Briggs test when I've been on holiday as when I've been at work with about a two-week gap and my mindset is completely different and I get a completely different personality profile. It's not to say that you can beat the test but it's reflecting um, the Seetal of the moment or, or the Robert of the moment. Yeah. And so that becomes a situational tool useful when you've got a team assembled. Um, the uh, I'm not sure, Robert, if you're familiar with the forming, storming, norming, performing model. No. Um, I'll I'll have to uh, recall the actual name of the gentleman that uh, coined the model, but it was a bit of a revelation for the teams that I was mentoring and for my own teams. It's saying that any time you have somebody leave a team or be added to a team. That whole team has to re-establish itself. There is a forming period. Everyone's really polite. They're trying to get along, trying to suss out who are they working with, what are their styles of working. You get to storming you know, pretty quickly, or the hope is that you'll get there pretty quickly because if you're too polite and you're not addressing the actual issues, that's very, very dangerous. Um, you've got to confront the brutal facts. When you get to storming, that's a conflict, generally because there's two different ways of doing things or people want different things out of their roles and from those around them. Some teams are lost in storming, and what tends to be the end point to storming is that some very good team members will leave, and then you'll have to re-establish the team, and the person that's left behind, depending on their makeup, will, will either think, well, this is a good thing, I've got someone that's a little bit more like me, 
Or they'll think, wow, I'm quite powerful. I forced that person to leave. I'm not going to change. Really, with storming, there needs to be some compromise. And then you get to a, a norming stage. And that's where people have learned how to work with one another. They understand what the goal is, understand what the core values are, and then they're working through, the, I guess, the personal styles and the house style of working within that team. And only then can you get to performing. So if every team and every owner around the country had that up in their staff room and really spoke in those terms, every time a new member came on board and said, you're going to have these forming, norming, storming, and performing um, cycles to run through, I think that would be incredibly valuable. One of, one of my alarm bells when I ask about things you're not good at in interviews is, oh, when there's a problem, sometimes I don't like to address it. Conflict's a beautiful thing because if it's a problem, it will bother that person up until they take a more drastic response, which is either an outburst or leaving. And if without conflict, without the interplay with other people, we don't grow as individuals. And certainly the business doesn't get any better. So that's a real warning sign question when I see it. Mm. I think, am I going to be good enough as a mentor and a leader to somehow coax an answer out of this person to confront the brutal facts? Or are they going to work on an island and, and if I continue to hire people like these, am I going to have a whole bunch of lone wolves that I'm hoping to turn into a pack? Yeah, and I guess on, on that on that topic of you know the performance angle of it as well, um, you know, again, there's been a number of different uh, tools that we've deployed to, I guess, communicate with our teams. Uh, you know, whether it be through non-urgent communication, whether it be creating podcasts for your team, videos, an email through Mailchimp. Um, it could even be a direct feedback form that comes through each week through SurveyMonkey and so forth and intranets and other elements of technology that we try to continue the conversation and allow our teams to have feedback and tell us about their best ideas so that we're not uh, stifling innovation. What, what have you utilised within, within your team to, I guess, capture the essence of that innovation and uh, continually you know, drive that you know, business forward as well as the high performance individuals? There's a number of different uh, media that I recommend people use. I remember I, I had a pharmacist uh, last year that I wasn't seeing the right kind of development out of. And it was a confidence thing. And I, I really got into the detail of before you turn up to work, what do you do? And I thought, how about you add a TED talk to the very first thing you see when you wake up? Um, because TED Talks are all about embracing ideas and having really bold and largely positive responses to the world that's around us. And so I gave him a TED Talk challenge for 40 days. And, you know, I, I was pretty selective for the first half of that about which TED Talks I wanted him to see. And after that, I said, okay, you, you know where to find them. Now you tell me about what you're learning. And that was really important as a small thing that he could add to his day to kickstart his own confidence and kickstart where his brain was thinking. And that actually got him making really productive suggestions at our weekly meetings. Um, and, and it's a simple thing. All you need is an inter internet connection or something that can be done on your phone to, to embrace. Um, I'm long been a, a, an advocate of podcast technology. I think with the amount of travel I do, with the amount of travel that your average Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane pharmacist does just to get to work, what a great way to get yourself into the zone and get enthused about business, to get enthused about science and careers, um, and ultimately about health, uh, than listening to podcasts because it's a little little less threatening and time consuming than say sitting down to read a book. 
That said, I, I do like the idea of a journal club. It's something I picked up from hospital pharmacy departments um, in terms of reading various journals, and we've done that for some time uh, with stores that I either manage or own, whereby all the pharmacists will read a different journal, come in and share their highlights. And that, again, not so daunting for those, um, those team members, such as dispensary assistants, that maybe sit down with a copy of Australian Pharmacist and, and miss some of the relevance of the points or are intimidated by the information they're receiving. I think there is a duty for team members to share knowledge with one another. And those journal clubs have been really effective in empowering people with knowledge and relevant knowledge and allowing them to ask the questions that I think are going to give them greater confidence and wherewithal. And one thing I also like to do um, is constantly have team members look at performance culture graphs. Um, what I was talking about earlier is actually called the, the Tuckman um, Stages of Development, Team Development Model. Um, and I would urge, again, pharmacy owners and young pharmacists to have a look at that when they think about their teams. But it is important to assess if you are in charge of a team, be it a small dispensary team if, if you're a pharmacist manager, or you know, every young pharmacist, the minute they're registered and they're solo pharmacist, is a leader whether they like it or not. And so they've, they've got to be confident that they can lead the team around them and be a positive contributor, um, is to have a look to see, okay, the people that I've got working underneath me, are they low culture or high culture? Are they a low performer or a high performer? And being able to understand where people sit in terms of that development. And in that model, the high culture, high uh, performance sits in the top right-hand quadrant. And that's where you want to see close to 99% of your team. And if 99% of your team isn't sitting there, and people do change, you know, they do have bad months, and sometimes they fall off the rails for whatever reason, then you've got to ask why they're still part of the business. Particularly on the culture side, if they're not a cultural fit, they really should be released back into the workforce. And talking in terms of this language um, to every member of a team, is very powerful because often you get people that love their job, love the strategy of the business, but they just do not respond and, and work well with the people around them. And if they're a good member of the team, if they are high performance and high culture, if you don't do something about the low performance and particularly low culture people that are there, then that's going to be very disheartening for them. And, you know, as uh, Jeff Smart says, it crushes the soul of those that are in that top right-hand quadrant if you don't make sure they're surrounded by other A players in that quadrant. Yeah, and, and certainly, you know, that's a great end point to, you know, say, like, as you said, have 99% of your team in that area. And I suppose there's a, there's a slight adjustment factor there for 1%, but I'm sure we'd love 100%. But, you know, mm. that being an end point, you know, for our, for our listeners today who may be at the opposite end of the spectrum, who have just been inspired by the amount of strategy and certainly the great insights you've shared into some of the mistakes that we're making and things that we should be doing as, a, as an alternative and particularly the investment of time early on in selection and uh, induction, you know, what would be your first steps, I guess, towards that dynamic team culture? I think if you're listening to this and, and some of what I'm speaking about will help to solve problems that you've identified. I mean, understanding you've got a problem is the first step. Well, then I think do a performance culture graph and it, it's, it's not the hardest thing. You'll, you'll have a pretty good idea whether somebody is performing well at their role look at their role, look to see what their key performance indicators are. If you're not at that stage, spend some time thinking about 
What are the key performance indicators that, that show that a dispensary technician or a retail assistant or a pharmacist or a pharmacist manager are actually performing well? And then once you've gone through a mission to Mars exercise, which takes about two to three hours to do, you can get a facilitator to do it or um, there are instructions uh, available on the internet to go through the exercise. Once you've identified no more than three, maybe four core values, you'll be able to look at your team and figure out who actually is a core value fit, not just who you like, not just who is loved by customers, but who is a good core value fit and who is performing. And then you can start to think about what are the chances that I can take somebody that's a great core value fit but not performing, what can I do to put them in a role with, that they'll actually succeed at? Because it's, it, you're not necessarily going to turn them around in terms of their performance just by saying work a little bit harder. Somebody said to me, if you need to motivate your team, you've got the wrong people anyway. And then you can start to think, okay, I may like these people. I may be afraid of change. But I'm going to theoretically look at who I would replace them with. And then once you're pretty confident that you've got good culture fits and you can see that they're performing for other employers, then the change management process of actually performance managing out the people that aren't in that top right-hand quadrant can take place. And I don't recommend that be rushed. Um, you know, if it takes you six months to, to part ways with a lot of those people, then, then so be it. But I think your business will fundamentally be better for that rigid performance management of those individuals. And look, sometimes, sometimes when they've got the language, when they understand what the goal is, they'll come to a realization and think, well, maybe I should work for someone else. People generally don't like pressure when it is against their core values. And sometimes people have had a, a bad run because they have just lost their way a little bit. And to see the infrastructure and to have the repetition of what the values are and what the goals are actually inspires them. But more often than not, that's pretty rare. And you, you need people that don't need a switch flicked on within them. Yeah, and, I, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, many, many of our listeners are thinking, you know, wouldn't there be a, a fantastic way of, uh, you know, shortcutting and accelerating that journey beyond? But, you know, clearly there's a lot of planning and hard work that needs to go into establishing and probably aligning yourself as the owner more so with your business before you can determine, I guess, what your culture is and the establishment of that. But I guess if you, if you could uh, cast an eye to the uh, future and not, not saying that uh, team culture is the ultimate uh, element in the business there may be something else that you're thinking of that uh, you know if we took away those two big things that often get in the way of progress time and resources you know what, what would you love to see in pharmacies today it has always struck me that pharmacists are seen as the most trusted and accessible of health professionals and yet often we are locked away to a particular approval number based site and one thing I've done with a number of the stores that I have uh, either mentored or managed um, or owned myself is the idea of the free-range pharmacist, a pharmacist that isn't limited to a particular space, who gets out and does house calls, who readily makes themselves available, um, often in person, to the average Australian who fundamentally benefits from the insight that a pharmacist brings to the small stuff and to the huge stuff. 
and to the network of health professionals that um, the average Australian really is is daunted to try and approach or doesn't even know they can approach. And so to be that information king, I, I see technology as being, and, and my dream is that we'll get to the stage where there'll be a pharmacist on your phone that you can talk to at any time, be it a text, be it a, a web FaceTime style link up, that the pharmacist will be the person you go to for any information about things that you will put in your body that will have some sort of a positive or negative effect on you. And I don't know that we're very far away from that technology right now. I think that solution really gives a brand new bold frontier for every pharmacist coming out that has been fed negativity by whoever in the industry wants to propagate that negativity. Because by and large, those graduates, those pharmacists that are maybe underemployed, love speaking to people. They love building connections and they love sharing information. And this is the perfect way to make sure that we have a tangible positive outcome on the overall country's level of education and insight about medication where there is a lot of misinformation. And, and I think that probably more than anything on the supply side will be the real game changer for pharmacy in this country, where instead of seeing pharmacists as, as a slightly irrelevant and endangered species, all of a sudden we become extraordinarily powerful and we ramp up that trust factor like, uh, like never before. Yeah, look, I certainly agree that I don't think it's going to be further away than we actually think, uh, you know, with services emerging and being so successful uh, in the US, like doctor on demand, there's not a, not a chance that a pharmacist couldn't play the same role uh, for helping patients. And certainly our patients' queries are now only a Google search away, but it is leading to a amount of mass confusion in terms of what is the right information and how do we personalise that information. And that's why, you know, our role does shift to be that trusted advisor that can filter all of that information to personalise it and ultimately impart wisdom on our patients. And, you know, that's where I believe pharmacists will never be outdated if we embrace that collaboration with a patient rather than, uh, I guess, where we've been in the past of being a very very big authority in terms of housing all of the drug information and telling people you must see us at a particular time, a particular location, and if you want to see your favourite, you've got to come at these times that it's more open and uh, you know available now for collaboration and patients are now telling us how they would like us to help them and uh, certainly that's something I look forward to and uh, as, as I do following your journey, it's been absolutely brilliant today, Seetal, and uh, we look forward to following that journey and inviting you back in the not-too-distant future. Thank you, Robert. And the thing I would share with every one of your listeners is I'm, I'm hardly an expert on all of these. I, I love lifelong learning. I know a number of pharmacists out there, be they in ownership, be they working in hospital, they love lifelong learning as well. And look, if I can do it, I I do see myself as the everyman who became an owner after many tries and who now has had, you know, what some would say is a modicum of success. And it is that humility to say, there is a different way of doing things within pharmacy. We aren't necessarily the most mature industry relative to other industries. I'm going to find out about all businesses, all industries. And that level of love of learning and humility, I think fundamentally has helped me become a better owner and a better pharmacist. And I would urge everyone else to to go to the greater world like that um, with the same level of humility because that's where the really interesting knowledge and wisdom does come. Yeah, no, look, absolutely. Thanks, Seidel. Thanks, Robert. 
So I'm sure you'll agree it has been a massive two weeks with CETL and so much knowledge and insight to share. So many activities, so many insights that we could take away and apply into our business. My three key learnings, well, number one is don't rush your hiring and induction. Underline that one, Bold it, capitalize it. You need to make sure you don't rush it. You might be saving time in the short term by simply just copying the skill set of a previous employee with someone who's presenting that in front of you. But if you get it wrong, you're going to throw off the balance of your own team, as Seedle shared with the forming, storming, norming model, which is a fantastic thing to get your head into as well. But certainly also you're going to have to potentially have to performance manage that person out of your business, which is a really tricky navigational road if you don't pick it up early on. Number two is create that filter for your biggest business decisions. And of course, that's the core values and the culture. Once you've got that, it's going to make so many decisions easier, saving you time, money and stress, knowing which direction your business is heading in and making sure that you're making the right decision the first time because you're staying true to those core values. So it's not just a pretty picture that we put on the wall. It's something that acts as a directional arrow for every big business decision moving forward. And number three is spend more time being positive with your people. Don't use performance management interviews, as Seidel shared with us, as negative feedback sessions. I think too many of us are too guilty of that, where we'll sit down with someone and because we haven't taken the time to really understand what their role is, how they're impacting the business and how we can help them improve, we just use it as a way to basically project negative feedback onto them because we haven't taken the time throughout the year. So as Seidel suggested, celebrate it with your team. Celebrate their successes and their opportunities and help them map out their strategy for the next year so that you can help them help your business take your business to another level in the following year. So many key learnings, but the important thing is to underline we've got to start and we've got to discover it now. And that brings us to our transformation motivational quote of the week, which comes from Bradford D. Smart from his book, Top Grading. And the quote is, well, it's more of a question really, shouldn't we be as rigorous in hiring as we are in capital spending? Next week, we've got a solo show coming your way. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, it's going to focus around productivity tools. So I'm going to bring back some of the ones we covered off very early in our transformation journey, and I'm going to show you what I'm using them for now and some of the new tricks that I've discovered along the way. And I'm also going to bring you some new tools that I've discovered in the last six months and things that are working quite well. As I've always mentioned, I'm a bit of a crash test dummy for you, so I'm going to test out and try to break a lot of this technology, and that that doesn't break, I'm going to share with you on the show, and that's what we're going to do next week. So it's going to be a nice short solo show where you've got some nice tools to potentially have a play with over the break as well. If you've enjoyed this show, leave a comment in the show notes. I read and respond to every single one of them, and our guests like Seedle today are only too happy to respond to your questions individually as well. Have a great week, everyone, and I look forward to speaking with you again next week. Bye for now.